0: nothing to fear with you I pray that we would uh, be confident in that God that that fact would change our lives um, that we would live radically for you. I pray that you would speak through Michael you'd speak through your word uh, you just open up our eyes and our ears to hear it God in Jesus name amen and you may be seated and while you're doing that if you would turn to Genesis chapter 42 it's where we'll be this morning. Where we were trying to be last week and we had a little detour. Uh, first question, um, how's it going? You have, uh, we passed out directories last week. I ask you to use those as a guide to prayer. So raise your hand, but I want to ask you that maybe over the next several weeks. How's that going? Are you praying for one another? You should be. If you were not here last week, uh, there are some directories in the back. You can get one. Nice, beautiful, smiling pictures of everyone. Uh, And our encouragement to you would be to use those uh, throughout the week to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ in the body. So please make sure that you grab one of those if you do not have one. We're in Genesis chapter 42. Um, But I want to back up just a little bit uh, and talk briefly about that passage that I read just a moment ago because it applies to what we're talking about today. Today, for whatever reason... The people of Jerusalem failed to see God in their midst. I mean, it started out good, right? He came in and they praised Him and they were thankful and they were excited about His teaching. But as the week wore on, um, those praises didn't last. and, And Jesus knew they wouldn't last. He knew that the crowds were fickle. He knew that they would be swayed by pressure from the authorities, pressure from the Romans. Their own uncertainty on, we thought the Messiah would do something different when He came into Jerusalem. And even though Jesus wrote in on a high note that Sunday before, He knew Friday was coming didn't surprise him. He knew the people would turn against him. He knew his own disciples would deny him, abandon him. He knew he would be left alone. Now, before we're too hard on the folks of Jerusalem, we do a good job of being fickle. We do a good job of being easily swayed. We do a good job of of retreating into this mode of self-preservation. Often out of fear. I'm going to protect myself at whatever cost and the rest of you will whatever. Do we know that in the midst of our fear, in the midst of that self-preservation, that God is in our midst? That's what Jesus said. If only you had known the time of your visitation, if only you had known that God was in your midst, that I wasn't just a man. See, what, what begins with excitement and anticipation and lots of energy can slowly or sometimes quickly just kind of fizzle out. You see, we, we, we have this picture that, that we're on this nice road Well lit, four lanes, lots of exits, lots of bathroom breaks, lots of rest stops, nice restaurants. And then we begin the journey and we realize there's potholes. I don't know when the next rest stop is and it's getting dark. And so we kind of slowly begin to retreat back into our little mode of self-preservation. It's not what I signed up for. I was excited at first, but it's just not what I thought. And so we we forget that God is in our midst. And we ask the question, how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect ourselves? Well, you're not alone if you're like that because that's where Jacob is in chapter 42. Jacob is has retreated fully into that mode of self-preservation. We've, we've been through the story, right? We're in the middle of the, the story of Joseph. But in 42, we kind of backtrack because 42 really, even though Joseph plays a big part, even though a lot of the story in 42 is about Joseph and his brothers, the story is really about Jacob. You know, that guy we talked about last year. The guy who was always wrestling with God always struggling to try to get the upper hand, well, he's still struggling. Twenty years later, he's still struggling. He's still wrestling with those demons of fear. And and if, if I can just protect things, if I can just hold on, it's going to be okay. Instead of trusting God. The good news is, for Jacob and for us, is that God is not finished with him or with us. In chapter 42, Moses writes these words. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? He said, Behold, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some, buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. Then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said, "'Where have you come from?' They said, "'From the land of Canaan to buy food.' But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had had about them and said to them, "'You are spies. You've come to look at the undefended parts of our land.' And they said to him, "'No, my lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We're honest men. Your servants are not spies.' Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, your spies. By this you will be tested, By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. But if not by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go. Carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so and they said to one another truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us yet we would not listen therefore this distress has come upon us reuben answered them saying did i not tell you do not sin against the boy and you would not listen now comes the reckoning for his blood they did not know however that joseph understood for there was an interpreter between them he turned away from them and wept but when he t- returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to restore every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank. And they turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men, we're not spies. We're twelve brothers, sons of our father, one is no longer alive, and the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. The man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Now it came about as they were emptying their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. Their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and you would take Benjamin." All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is alone left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Let's pray together. Father, pray that you would bless the time in your word this morning. You would speak to our hearts that You would allow us to see You clearly and to see ourselves clearly. And then we ask that You would change us for Your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I just want to make sure you you get what's going on. Right? Jacob sent ten sons to Egypt and they bowed down and Joseph immediately remembered the dream and said they're supposed to be eleven. And... In the blink of an eye, he concocted a wonderful plan that he thought would bring healing not only to his father, but to his brothers and to the family. A rather ingenious plan. Keep one here because your youngest brother has to come down. You bring him down, you can have this one back. You see, in the back of his mind, he's wondering is, is dad still playing favorites? Are the brothers still jealous? Have they changed? Are they still willing to sell the youngest son like they sold me? And so, he sends back grain and sends back everybody else. And see, he knows something that Jacob doesn't. They come back with food to last who knows how long. And Jacob says, I'm not sending Benjamin back. Not going to do it. See, Joseph knows the famine's not over. Joseph knows that it's going to last for several more years. He knows that his father's going to have to make a choice. Either sacrifice the entire family, you're all going to die, or you've got to send Benjamin back. So Joseph said, the ball's in your court, your turn. But it's not just his father that he's testing, it's the brothers as well. They say we're honest men, but He knows that's not true. He knows they're not honest. He knows they've lied to their father. He knows they're willing to sell Him for a few pieces of silver. And so He tests them. He returns all their money to them in their sack and sends them on their way. Because now when they come back, they're going to have to fess up to the fact that they didn't pay the first time. Or not they're going to have to decide to get along and not squabble. And the squabbling's already started, right? Reuben, I told you so. We shouldn't have done it. Now God's ticked at us. And Joseph has concocted this plan to see if there's really been any change at all. To see if they will be the family that God has called them to be. And while we get to the end and Jacob is still stubborn, he's still adamant, you're not taking Benjamin back. The brothers at least have begun to recognize that God is doing something. They've acknowledged their sin. We're guilty of our brother's blood. What is God doing to us? At least in the brothers, there's beginning to be a a stir of conscience. What about with you? When when trials and hardships come, do you you point fingers and, and lay blame? Or do you ask yourself the question, is God teaching me something? Troubles and hardships don't always mean that that's a consequence of sin, but it's a question we should ask. God, are you up to something? And if you are up to something, what is it? We don't really need to dwell on 42 for very long. It's a precursor to what happens in 43 through 50. Joseph is just setting the stage, but, but we need to dwell on Jacob a little longer because it gives us a chance to ask an extremely important question. A question is we enter into the celebration of the death and resurrection of Christ, what in some places they call Holy Week, The last week of Jesus' life. It allows us to ask a question. Are you in self-preservation mode even though Jesus is active and present in your life? Are you in self-preservation mode even though Jesus is active and present in your life? Has fear gripped you to the point where you just can't make that decision or i'm not going to make that decision jacob had put his foot down i'm I'm not sending benjamin back and he said simeon is no more he made the decision I'm, i'm trading one son for another you're not getting benjamin and he writes off a son Jacob wasn't the only one that was afraid. The city of Jerusalem was afraid too. That last week of Jesus' life. They they were afraid of the authorities. They were afraid of the ruling party of the Jews. I just don't want to go against the tide. I don't want to go against what's happening. They were afraid ultimately that this Messiah that they thought they were going to follow to victory may not be all he's cracked up to be and, and maybe we shouldn't follow this one. Maybe we'll end up like him, arrested. Obviously, he's not the one. The Messiah is supposed to kick the Romans out and not get arrested. So they were afraid. And just a few days after they cheered his entrance into Jerusalem, Some of those same people shouted, crucify Him. Crucify Him. What about you? You see, fear promises protection, but it always takes. Fear promises protection, but it always takes. Reminded of the story of uh, Saul and Samuel. Samuel had told Saul, I'll meet you at Gilgal in seven days and I'll offer sacrifices. Meet me there. In the meantime, a huge Philistine army had gathered and the people began to get nervous. Some of Saul's army began to flee, began to hide, began to scatter. Seventh day arrived. Saul's at Gilgal where Samuel. The army's just over the way. And the people began to Scatter. You know, if if Samuel's not going to show up, then God's not going to show up and Saul, we're out of (laughs) here. Bye. And Saul begins to get frightened. He begins to get scared. He's looking for protection and fear drives him to a choice. I'll make the sacrifice so that I'll be protected so my army won't leave. Fear promised protection and he made the sacrifice and Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? I told you I'd be here. Well, everybody was leaving. That was a poor choice, Saul. Because now your kingdom is going to come to an end. Your line will not last. You'll be the last of your line. Your sons will not inherit the kingdom. See, fear promised him protection and all it did was take from him. And that was the beginning of the end for Saul. Think about Peter in the courtyard. Brave enough to follow Jesus into the courtyard, but then when push came to shove, when people began to question Him, hey, I know who you are. You're, you're with Him. Fear promised Peter protection. No, 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 no. I'm, uh, uh, not me. You're thinking of someone else. No, I don't, I don't know who that is. I, you don't know what you're talking about. And instead of protection, what happened was it took Peter's confidence. It took Peter's joy. It took Peter's purpose. And what it really took was a merciful Savior showing up on a a beach many days later and saying, Peter, do you love me? And, And Peter not being able to Answer in the same way that he wanted to. And yet God's mercy was abundant for him. But in those intervening days, fear didn't protect him. It took from him. And that's what fear does to us. It takes, it takes, it takes. It promises protection. But it takes. It took from Jacob. It took 20 years of life with his family, had he not been so afraid of losing Joseph and Benjamin, if he had fathered his 12 sons like he should have fathered them, he wouldn't have lost 20 years with Joseph. So what do you do with Jesus? Jesus? Comes into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. Fanfare, praise, shouting, proclamation. Shows up at the temple and tells them who's in charge. Everything's good. And then slowly during the course of that week, things begin to change. And so this week, what I really want you to do is ask yourself the question. What am I doing with Jesus? In the midst of maybe fear, maybe not, but regardless, what am I doing with Jesus? And what I would like for you to do this week is I would like for you to to pick a place in Scripture, either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and this week read through the Passion narrative, read through the last week of Jesus' life. And as you're doing that, ask yourself the question, how do people respond to Jesus? What do people do with Jesus? What do the crowds do with Jesus? What do the Pharisees do with Jesus? What do His disciples do with Jesus? What do the Romans do with Jesus? What do they do with Him? How do they respond to Him? How do they relate to Him? And as you're thinking about those questions, then apply that to yourself. Would I do the same thing? Do I do the same thing? When push comes to shove, do I treat Jesus the same way as the crowds? The same way as the Pharisees? same way as the disciples? same way as the Romans? Let us spend some time this week thinking about and answering that question, what do I do with Jesus? Because see, we live on the other side of Passion Week. We know the resurrection. But Jacob knew the presence of God. God had appeared to him over and over again throughout his life. He couldn't shake off the fear. He couldn't shake off the doubt. He couldn't shake off the fact that I've got to be in control and I've got to protect things. I've got to be in charge. And we have the same privilege that Jacob had. God's presence with us speaking to us, encouraging us, challenging us, wrestling with us through His Holy Spirit and through His Word. And so the final question, is Jesus enough? Is He enough? Or will we be what I call Mark 16.8 Christians? Mark's Gospel sort of ends... If you take out theres part of that's in brackets in your Bible, but in 168, it says they left the tomb fearful." I think Mark does that on purpose. I think he stops there on purpose because he wants us to ask that question. What do I do with the fact that someone has told me that Jesus has rose from the grave? What do I do? Am I fearful? Do I flee? Or do I embrace that truth? And so this week, as you read through that scripture, once, twice, three times, maybe, kind of as follow him through. Monday, read what happens the first day after he walks in. Tuesday read the next day what happens. How do people relate to Jesus? And how do I relate to Jesus? And is He enough? See, God was not enough for Jacob. Not yet. The good news is that Jacob had a son who was interested in showing him that God was enough. And the good news for you and I is that we have a Savior who continually pursues us to show us that He is enough. And despite our sin... And despite the fact that sometimes we retreat into self-preservation mode because of our fear, God pursues us. And He has forgiven us. We know what happens on Friday. The Creator of the universe went to the cross and took the wrath that you and I deserve for our sins upon Himself. We couldn't pay the debt that we owed. And He took that. But not only that, He he gave us His righteousness for those of us who believe. And the resurrection on Sunday proved that that sacrifice was acceptable to the Father and is a guarantee, a promise, a down payment of our resurrection. Someday. We have the good news. We know the end of the story. The question is, what will we do with that today? This week? Will we believe? Or will we allow fear to overwhelm us and force us to retreat and not make the decisions that God has called us to make? Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank You for Your grace and Your goodness. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for the reminders that You give us in Your Word like Jacob who just couldn't couldn't get over the fear of losing his son. And thank You that the story didn't end there. Thank You that there were faithful people that You gave us as examples like Joseph who... He could have just written those guys off. He could have had them all executed on the spot for what they did to him. And you give us in Joseph an example of mercy and grace. And you give us an example of your Son of mercy and grace. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your grace for us. Use that to strengthen us as we go into our week that we might be the people that You have called us to be. That we might glorify You by our words and actions. We ask these things in the name of Your precious Son, our Savior. Amen.